The passage for today is Leviticus 20, verses 22 to 26. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving, you, driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast, or by bird, or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Good morning again. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as a senior pastor here at Redeemer. And it's a joy to worship God together with you on another Friday. If you're new to us, we've been going through the book of Leviticus for the past eight weeks or so. And in a few minutes, we'll celebrate communion. But before we do, we have a tall task, chapters 17 through 25. We'll see if God can do a miracle before us and we can get through at least an overview of what God is doing in these chapters here in Leviticus. Well, as we study these chapters, let us remember the questions that Leviticus is answering for us. A couple questions. Number one, how can a sinful people be in the presence of a holy God? And then number two, the flip side of that. How can God live with sinful people? How can a holy God and a sinful people be together? I don't know if you're taking notes. Here's the one main idea this morning. It's this. Sin is illogical and serious. Love God and others. Sin is illogical and serious. Therefore, we ought to love God and others. Others. And we'll break down that point as we look at the text. Let me first give you a, a little bit of the breakdown of Leviticus. Chapter 17 begins a new section in the book. Remember, the book started with a number of offerings sacrifice, 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 sacrifice over the first seven chapters. They were a never ending cycle, never enough. And then we see sin, Nadab and Abihu, two of the priests, offer strange fire up to the Lord. We see that in Chapter 10, they're killed for their rebellion. And the people realize then, wow, if even the priests couldn't keep the law, even if they couldn't be holy, then what about us? What hope do we have? And if that didn't convince them, then chapters 11 through 15, the clean and the unclean laws would. There was no way to stay clean, no way to stay sinless. There wasn't enough time in the day to offer up enough sacrifices. And what about all the sins of ignorance? Sins you didn't know to confess. Or those times you became unclean and you didn't know. All of those chapters lead up to and point to chapter 16. The Day of Atonement is a central chapter in the book. Everything pointed to that day, 
to that one day, the sins of the people were placed on the scapegoat. That goat would, would then go and another goat would be slaughtered and killed as a substitute for the people. All the sins from that year, they were forgiven. But even then, what about the next year? And the year after that and the year after that. That day, that day of atonement pointed to another day, a day when Jesus, the Son of God, would die on the cross as the final and perfect substitute for our sins. It was the last and greatest day of atonement. So the book changes gears after that central and pivotal pivotal chapter in the book. Now from 17 until chapter 27, you have practical instruction. First section, theological foundation. Here's your sin and uncleanliness. Here's our reality. God is holy. We're sinners. And then chapter 16 tells us how do you deal with sin? You need a better sacrifice. And now and only now, once that sacrifice has been made, can you live a holy life? So if the first section is theological, the second section is practical, here's how to demonstrate holiness in your everyday life. Paul's epistles are often written like this. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6, how to live out that doctrine. Romans does this. Chapters 1 through 11, theology. 12 through 16, how to live out the theology in your day-to-day life. And so, same here in Leviticus. You have a little pivot here between 16 and 17. Why is that? Well, it's because you can't live holy lives if you haven't first been saved and forgiven your sin. You have no hope to follow the law if you're not reconciled to God. And friends, that's the same for us today. If you aren't following Jesus, there's no hope of living a holy life. I meet people in the church all the time who want to get their lives together. They want to have their lives in a positive place. They want a healthy marriage. Want a healthy dating relationship. They want to clean up their sin. They want to have peace in their heart. They want to have no more anxiety, no more worries. And they come up to me and they want me to give them the one, two, three steps to a better life. Practical tips on how to live a good life. And I always tell them, I want that for you too. I I want that. That's a good thing to aspire to. That sounds wonderful, but before that can ever happen, you need Jesus. Before your life can can be all put together the way it was meant to be, you need Jesus. Before you can have peace, Jesus needs to save you. Before you can have a healthy marriage, before you can battle sin, before you can grow in holiness, you need Jesus. He's your greatest need. Once you have him and only when you have him will all those other things fall into place. When you worship Jesus alone, the rest of your affections are then in order. So if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you've joined us. We pray that you would keep coming Friday after Friday. Join us. Be with us. But if you're not yet a follower of Christ, nothing I'll say about sin or holiness today is possible unless you're first saved by Jesus. And one of the hardest things I have to do as a pastor is not to see people saved, but it's to get people lost. 
Let me say what I mean by that. What I mean is that in my preaching, not only do I need to hold out Jesus, the bread of life to believers who need spiritual nourishment, but I need to convince people who are lost that they've been standing in line at the wrong spiritual buffet all their lives, especially people that come from so-called Christian backgrounds. This is often the hardest because many of us think that we're Christians when we're really not. We think we're Christians, but we're really not. Being born of Christian parents doesn't make us born again to a living hope. Coming from a Christianized country doesn't mean you're a citizen of that better country, the heavenly one. Having some spiritual experience doesn't mean you're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Attending church, liking Jesus, doing good things, and simply not affiliating with one of those religions over there doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is being made alive together with Christ. Becoming a Christian is when you're born again. You go from being dead to being alive. It's when God changes your heart by grace alone. Nothing else. You know, when we baptize believers, maybe many of you have been to our baptismal services. We had one a couple of weeks ago. When we baptize individuals in this church, we always ask them two questions. Number one, have you repented of your sin? And number two, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save you? And we do that because it's repentance and faith that saves you. And once you are made alive together with Christ through repentance and faith. Only then, only when God changes your heart, only when you've been made a new creation, only when you're born again, only when you're alive in him, will chapters 17 through 27 make any sense at all. Only when you know Jesus will your sin become detestable to you. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, may today be the day of salvation for you. Don't be embarrassed if you've been to church all your life. Maybe you've been attending here for years, and yet you've never become a believer. Friend, that's okay, but turn to him today in repentance and faith. Don't be embarrassed by it. And if today is your very first day attending, maybe your first time being in a Christian worship gathering, it it is never too soon or too early to come to faith in Jesus. Turn to him today. Whether you're 14 and in the youth group or 74 and retired from work, you are welcome to come to Christ. Tomorrow may be too late, but as long as today is called today, there's still time. Repent and believe. Only then, only with Jesus is there hope for living a holy life. You know, as we look at our chapters today, these chapters 17 through 25, many Bible scholars call these chapters the holiness code. This code was the key to protect God's people from defilement. If you haven't already read chapters 17 through 25 all the way through, take some time this afternoon to read them and read them in one setting. And when you do, you'll see that chapter 17 instructs God's people to reject idolatry, to sacrifice to one God in one place. Chapters 18 and 20 list a number of heinous sins. Many sexual ones, sexual intimacy, as the Bible says, is to be between a husband and a wife within the context of marriage. That's it. All kinds of distortions are listed in those chapters. In chapter 19, we get the command to be holy and to love God and others. Chapters 21 and 22 include laws concerning the priest's qualifications. 
Chapter 23 describes the festivals that Israel would observe in remembrance and thanksgiving. 24 describes the lampstand and bread as a picture of God's people in fellowship with their God. And then when you read chapter 25, you'll read about the Sabbath, the year of Jubilee. Lots of things in this, in these chapters. And what I want to do today before we take communion is I want to give us a couple comments on these chapters as a whole. Basically breaking down that main idea I told you earlier. Starting with, first, that sin is illogical and sin is serious. You see that truth just dripping on these pages. In chapter 17, you see the command to not worship goat demons. This is crazy, worshiping goat demons? I mean, who does that? What's the logic here? You can't figure it out because sin is illogical. Worshiping goat demons... Friends, that's what our sin looks like. There's no rationale for it. I've tried to explain this concept to my children who desperately want to know why in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are given every tree to enjoy, every single tree, why in the world, why on earth would they eat of the one tree God told them not to? And my kids just don't get it. We read this chapter and we go, worshiping goat demons, it's crazy talk. But friends, that's all of our sin. Every time we sin, it is completely illogical. That's what sin is. God gives us in himself life, and we go, nope. I'd rather polish my favorite idol. God's given us his word to sustain us, and we say, nope, I want to put that Bible aside. I'm going to go ahead and just live my life reading nonsense. God has given us fellowship in the body of Christ, and we say, nope. I'm going to give up on church. I'm going to sit in the back row and never get involved. No, it's ridiculous. Our sin is as crazy as worshiping goat demons. Sin is illogical, but it's also serious. We need to feel the rhetorical effect of these chapters. That's why you should read them in one setting. I want to read through all these verses in one setting to feel the weight, to feel the seriousness of sin and the punishment for it. I'm going to just read through seven or eight different passages, one after another, through these chapters so we can feel the weight of it. Don't try to find them. Just listen or read along to yourself on the screens. Chapter 18. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Chapter 20, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer And the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man takes a sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother and sees her nakedness, it is a disgrace. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness and he shall bear his iniquity. 
the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Those are weighty passages. Depravity, abomination, perversion, disgrace. His blood is upon him. She shall be burned with fire, stoned with stones. He shall surely be put to death. Sin is not a joke. God is holy and sin is serious. It's interesting. There are only two narratives in the whole book of Leviticus. Chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire and are killed by the Lord. And then at the end of chapter 24, we see that a blasphemer is put to death. There are serious consequences to sin because sin is serious. And look back again at Leviticus 17, verse 7, and see how sin is described. They must no longer offer their sacrifices to the goat demons after who they whore. A whore is the word translators often translate to play the harlot or to prostitute oneself. Whore is... An even more shocking word to us. It's a vulgar word in English. It makes us uncomfortable even to say it. But it's exactly what this means. It's a very good translation. It is negative and insulting. It can refer either to physical prostitution or here, spiritual prostitution. God was declaring that when his people are unfaithful to him and worship demons... They're doing something vulgar, something sick, something twisted, something demented. Idolatry is spiritually profane. It is blasphemy. Remember, the Israelites have just left Egypt. There in Egypt, the Egyptians around them were worshiping Ra, the sun god, and Nut, the sky god, and a host of other gods. The Israelites would soon go into the land of Canaan where Baal was worshiped. Chapter 20 was read earlier for us by Jimmy, and in those verses, God was warning the Israelites, sin and idolatry is serious. You are to be a distinct people. Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like the world around you. You're to live and act and worship differently. It's a big deal because the Israelites have already messed up, haven't they? We've mentioned before, Moses is up on the mountain. Moses is there with God and the people fashion a God in their own liking, the golden calf. It was a problem for them and it's a problem for us too. We might not think of our sin as worshiping another God, but we all have goats in our lives. Some of us worship other people. How do we do this? We care more about what people think than what God thinks. We obsess over pleasing people. Being known by people is more important to us than being known by God. And we'll sin if it means we can appease our fear and reverence of man. Some of us worship our stuff. We'll do whatever it takes to get what we want. And there's always a thing that we want. Something we're thinking about. If we only had that thing, then we'd be happy and content. Some of us actually worship Things that we think are false gods. A being or beings we believe are gods. And we fear these evil spirits. 
We make sacrifices to them. We praise them. Friend, what is your heart worshiping this morning? What is it that your heart clings to? What is it that you think about all the time? What is it that you dream about? What is it that you hope for? What is it that you want more than anything else? What are the goat demons you cherish in your heart? There are probably too many to count. I know there are in my own heart. But we must acknowledge and kill these sins. It's important to kill our sin because our actions not only affect God's glory, but they affect one another. Our sin is not some isolated action. It affects others around us. And these prohibitions in our text aren't empty commands. These sins affect real people. And I know that some of you in this room have been affected by someone who hasn't obeyed God. And I've even committed some of the grotesque sins that I've read about earlier. Maybe you've been violated by someone. Maybe you were sexually or physically abused as a child and you've never shared that with anyone. If that's you, I am so, so sorry. Maybe you're being abused now. Maybe those words that I read from Leviticus 18 and 20 aren't mere data in the Bible, but they're reality in your life. Maybe those words ring really close to home. Friend, if that's you, know that Christ has borne our grief and our sorrows. If that's you, bring it to light. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to one of the elders. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk alongside of you in this trial. Bring it to the foot of the cross where darkness flees and Satan has no foothold. And friend, be healed. Maybe when you hear me read those verses from Leviticus 18 and 20, Maybe something else goes through your mind. Maybe you hear those words and you realize that you've done those things. That you've been the one whose sin has affected others in those heinous ways. Friend, you too, go to the cross. Go to Christ. There's forgiveness for everyone at the foot of the cross. Those verses characterize your life. Go to him. You can find forgiveness there. And friend, don't wait another day. Come today. Sin is illogical. Sin is serious. What's the best way forward then? Well, we need to love God and others. That's the second part of our main idea this morning. We need to love God and love others. One of the ways we fall more in love with God is seen in the celebrations and festivals of chapters 23 through 25 in Leviticus. This is really a celebratory ending to the book. We've just seen some real heavy chapters. Chapters 26 and 27 really serve as final application and an appendix to the book. But chapters 23 through 25 really serve as a celebratory ending. 
In the old covenant period, God gave his people sacred days and weeks. This was a reminder to them that they were to organize their entire lives around God. They were to be in constant contact with their creator. They were to reserve every seventh day to do nothing but worship him. The whole calendar reminded them of the sacredness of this day. Some festivals were one day, but then other festivals were seven days. The day of Pentecost was actually 49 days, seven times seven after the festival of first fruits. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year, and then after seven times seven, 49 years, was a jubilee year on year 50. This was the year where all debts would be forgiven and prisoners would be set free. All these dates and all these festivals pointed to a greater reality. It all pointed to Jesus. In the Passover, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. In the festival of the unleavened bread, we see that Jesus delivers us from slavery. In the festival of first fruits, Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. In the festival of Pentecost, we see that Jesus gives us all that we need. He provides everything we need. In the festival of trumpets, we see that trumpets will signal the coming of Jesus. In the day of atonement, as we saw, Jesus takes away our sins. In the festival of booths, Jesus provides for us just as he did it for the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings. In the Sabbath rest, we see the people communing with God. Now, the Sabbath was sort of like the tabernacle of time, the holy of holies with regards to the calendar. On the Sabbath, you focused on the presence of God in your life. The lampstand in chapter 24 also pointed to this reality. In verses 1 through 4, you have the lampstand. In verses 5 through 9, the bread. The bread would be 12 loaves. That would symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. The lamps would shine on the bread, and each Sabbath, the bread would be changed. And the lampstand and bread, what it portrayed was the eternal covenant God had with this people, and the ideal of Israel basking in this light of God's Sabbath presence. That symbolized the people being able to have communion and fellowship with God. It's a beautiful picture. Now, all of these things showed that communion with God is both the means and the goal of our holiness. Being holy brings us to fellowship with God, and being with God in fellowship makes us holy. So the sacrifices, the laws, the festivals, the Sabbath, they were an aid for the people in their pursuit of holiness. All of it was to help the people of God look more like God. I read about a Bible teacher this past week who in the past taught a whole semester-long course on the book of Leviticus. So several months just walking through chapter by chapter through Leviticus. And at the end of the class, he had an interesting assignment. This assignment was for one whole week to take all of the laws, all of the prohibitions, all of the commands in Leviticus and to follow them perfectly, just as stated in the book. That would be an interesting assignment, wouldn't it? I mean, normally you wouldn't think twice about eating pork vindaloo or adobo, but this week you have to be very careful what you ate. During that week, the students would keep a journal and they would write out their experiences, their thoughts about it. One student noted his frustration because in Leviticus 19, it says you can't wear clothes of two different materials. And he said, all I have left is one pair of polyester pants. 
This is going to be one long week. Others made similar observations. But by far the most common theme of the journals was symbolized by this student's words. Every day I found myself focused on thinking about ritual purity and impurity. Partway through the week, I realized that I was thinking about these things all day long and in every aspect of my life. And that's when it hit me. God cares a lot about our purity and holiness. Not just from a ritual perspective, but also from a moral perspective. All day long and in every aspect of life, the Lord wants me to pursue purity in my heart, in my life, in my actions. He wants me to reflect his holiness in all that I do. I've been treating holiness way too lightly. Oh Lord, help me to be holy. That's the kind of prayer you begin to pray when you meditate long enough on Leviticus. You do whatever you can to celebrate and to remember and have visual aids in your life to pursue the holiness of God. These laws, these sacrifices, these festivals, this Sabbath are visual illustrations to help you remember. To help you not forget that God is God and he has saved you. Well, how can we do this today? We've talked a lot about how we don't bring up goats to the front here and slaughter them on Fridays. We've talked how we don't keep the festivals in the same way that we see there in Leviticus. We don't practice the Sabbath in the same way. We see that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has fulfilled the laws. He's fulfilled the Sabbath. He is the one these festivals pointed to. Well, what about today? How do we help ourselves remember today? Well, there's lots of things. Here's a whole bunch of ideas. Come here on every seventh day on Friday to hear the gospel preached. The good news of Jesus never gets old and we need to hear it again and again and again. Read your Bible daily and infuse your heart with truth. Figure out memorial stones as a family. Celebrate regularly together what God has done in your home. Pay attention when we take communion. In a few minutes, we will pass out the elements and take communion Don't let it become some rote or normal thing you do just to kind of participate in just because we do it. No, consider that as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup that Jesus Christ died for you. Remember that. Let it affect your heart. You can buy and actually read good books from our bookstall. Read slowly. Read with a friend. And then apply the truths to your life. Join a community group. These groups study the scripture that will be preached the following Friday and share their lives together. Meet with another brother or sister in Christ and just sit for coffee and open the Bible and just read it to one another. We call that just discipleship. Just read it with one another and just pray for each other. Share your sin struggles with one another. Pray. Take a walk by yourself and just enjoy God's creation. The weather is getting nice. Just walk and just pray and thank God for the things that are happening in your life. Go to your favorite spot in the city. Go to your favorite spot in the city all by yourself and just be still and know that he is God. 
Invite friends to your home and have an amazing meal and sit there having sweet fellowship together around the table and remember that that table is but a small picture, a small shadow, a small type of the heavenly banqueting table that we will enjoy with all believers from all time before our God forever. Memorize scripture with a friend. Just commit to memorizing a portion of scripture and gather together ever so often and just Recite it to one another. Keep each other accountable. Put the scripture on your heart. Make a prayer list. Maybe keep that with your Bible. Make a prayer list and document how God answers your prayers. It's so encouraging. Call a friend on the phone. You have a few minutes. You're on uh, the drive to work or you have a break during lunch. Just call a friend and pray for them on the phone. Join the church as a member. You saw all these members standing up front. I love seeing them join the church. Friend, join us. Come to our class next week. Be encouraged by other believers at this church in your walk with God. And university students, don't miss the Focus Fall Conference next weekend. There are only two of those on the calendar all year. So whatever it is you think is more important, maybe more studies or hanging out with other friends, just cross that off and come to the conference, be with other university students and hear more about Jesus. Friends, put things in your life that are going to help you grow in holiness. Put things in your life that are going to help you remember what Jesus has done for you. And don't be discouraged if your spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it seems like it's going slowly. At times it seems discouraging. Think about what happens when you plant a tree for a moment. You plant it, but each day you look at it and you don't see anything happen. It's tiny. And you dream of the day you could put a swing on that tree. But day after day you watch that little tree. Nothing seems to happen. And then finally after 15 years it's ready. With time-lapse photography, perhaps you could see it, but not with the naked eye. It was slow and steady growth. The spiritual life is sort of like that. For the tree, you water it, it's got to get sun, you have to tend to the tree, you cultivate it, and it grows. It's not about seeing it grow, but over time it does. Same thing as the spiritual life. It may seem mundane, again, to set your alarm a few minutes early and to open up your Bible again to read God's Word. It may seem mundane, again, to meet that friend on Wednesday for lunch to study the Bible. It may seem mundane on a Friday just to come to another worship gathering. Again, just like you did last week and you did the week before and you did the week before. It may seem mundane to hear the gospel preached again and again and again. But friend, as you go through those things, as you set those reminders in your life, as you cultivate those spiritual disciplines, God is working on your heart. Slowly but surely, he is changing you. Walking with God and growing in holiness is a process. A tree doesn't become mature in a day, and neither do we. So friend, press on. Do those same things again, knowing that they're good for you. Work on loving God. But also work on loving others. At the heart of holiness is to love others. You know, we all know the Bible verse, love your neighbor as yourself. We quote that, we know that, we say that, we hear that. But many of us don't know that that verse comes from Leviticus. 
That's in our wonderful book, Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. And even more than that, here's a piece of important trivia. The verse that Jesus quotes more in the Gospels than any other verse is this one. Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. We see Jesus gives us a picture of that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's your neighbor? Well, everyone's your neighbor. People that don't look like you, people that don't act like you, people from different backgrounds, people from faraway places and close places, all are your neighbor. This means we care for all others. We extend mercy towards them. We forgive them of their wrongs. We love them in a way that points to Jesus. Now, there's some sweet verses on how to love our neighbors. One author I read pointed out, chapter 19, verse 14. Don't curse Or in this version, you shall not curse the deaf. Now, why is that especially sweet? Well, what will happen when you curse the deaf? Well, nothing. They they won't hear you, but God hears you. They might not hear you, but God hears it. And that's dishonoring to that person. Just read through those portions of chapter 19. It's beautiful verses. Loving your neighbor is the complete opposite of the sins we see in chapters 18 and 20. In those chapters, we saw prohibitions against incest, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, cursing your parents, devoting your children to false gods. And then right there in the middle, between chapters 18 and chapters 20, you get the answer. What's the antidote to those prohibitions and those sins? Well, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, are holy, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, chapter 19 is the answer. It's love for God and love for others. Those sins we read about in chapter 18, those heinous sins that we looked at, are the epitome of selfishness. You've taken something from someone that you were not allowed to take. You're stealing So what's the answer to that? Well, it's the opposite. The opposite of stealing is to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving our neighbors demonstrates that holiness is not simply refraining from sins, but being obedient to God. We don't just say no to sin. We say yes to love. And so as we approach communion today, let's not forget this. As we think about the structure of Leviticus and we think about the holiness code We need to remember that we love God and others because God first loved us. You know, communion is one of the two ordinances of the church. It's meant to be a visual display of the good news of Jesus, much like the things we've seen in our scripture today. The bread signifying the perfect life of Christ. The cup signifying the blood of Jesus that was shed to save us. This is important because we all deserve death and judgment, and yet God provided the sacrifice. Look back One last time at Leviticus 17, and look at verse 11. It's an incredible verse. Listen. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is God speaking. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So we get it. There were sacrifices. Right, you'd go there up in front of the tabernacle, you'd offer sacrifices, there's the Day of Atonement, the big sacrifice. But look at one interesting letter in this verse, really one interesting word. In that verse, God is emphasizing who's the one who provides the sacrifice. 
I, I, I have given it for you. And the Israelites could have thought they're the ones bringing the sacrifice. And God says, no, I gave it to you. I provided it for you. I did it. And it gets even better when we get to the New Testament. We were dead, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, when we take communion in a few moments, remember that Jesus came for you. And he did it all. It was all grace. Every last bit of it. He died for you. He provided the sacrifice. He did it for you. Let that change your heart today. Well, as we approach communion, the Bible does give us some further instruction on who should take part in this ordinance. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. If you're here today and you've repented of your sins and believe in the same gospel you've heard preached today, we invite you to participate in this meal with us. If not, we encourage you just let the bread and let the cup pass you by. If you do profess faith in Jesus and are joined to his church but are engaging in some unrepentant sin, we also encourage you just let the bread, let the cup pass you by. Scripture warns that there are severe consequences to those who take this meal, which symbolizes our unity in Christ, while at the same time holding on to sin, which divides you from the body of Christ. Use this time instead to repent of your sin and seek unity that comes through Christ's forgiveness and grace. Now, before we take part, as we always do, we want to take a moment of silent reflection to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and to see if we might take part in the Lord's Supper in a manner honorable to God. Let's take a moment of silent reflection now. Once the servers head to the back and the musicians come to the front, let us go to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, prepare our hearts now to seek you. Let us be joined with you in one spirit. With the cross of Christ, be to us the wisdom of God and the power of our almighty Savior as we meditate on the promise of eternal life. Would we exalt Christ in all areas of our lives? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.